0: started a series uh, two weeks ago called The Absurdity of Christ. This is the third week of a four-week series. And before you leave, because uh, I've heard that this is kind of ruffling some feathers, before you leave, I'm not talking about Christ being absurd or anything like that, but here's, here's the perspective that I have. As I was reading through the Gospels, I kept seeing things that from a human perspective that Jesus was saying and doing just seemed so Absurd, And I started making kind of marks in my Bible, and it just kept adding up and adding up. And I was like, man, I want to teach this at some point. And so we're really looking at these absurd things that Jesus did from a human perspective. But he wasn't human. He was also God, 100% God, 100% man. And that made the things that he did not so absurd at all. Now, if he was a man, it would have been absurd. But he wasn't just a man. What I hope that you see through this series is that it may seem absurd to follow Jesus, but it never is. It's never absurd to follow Jesus because of the things that he said and the things that he did pointed to the fact that he was more than just a man. And so when you decide to follow him, you shouldn't let anybody tell you that that's something absurd. You should be firm in your decision knowing that this is the best decision that you can possibly make in your life, is to follow Jesus. It may seem absurd to some, uh, but it is not at all. Now, this absurdity of Jesus and the things that he said and did during his ministries, it didn't start with him. He learned it from watching his father, okay? Okay. A long time ago, before Jesus was ever on the scene, God was doing and saying absurd things to his people. Take some of his laws that he gave his people to follow. For you and me, these are going to sound pretty absurd, okay? But even for the people back then, I think they would have seemed absurd as well. Take this one. If, if you had just given birth to a baby boy, you would be considered unclean for seven days. After that seven days was over, you would have 33 days of purification, all right? That sounds very weird for you and me. God had a purpose behind it, uh, but that's how it worked. And if you were unclean from having a little baby boy, uh, you couldn't go into the tabernacle to worship, okay? You couldn't... um, touch anyone because your uncleanness would get on them and they would be unclean. Then you couldn't sit on anything. Anything you sat on, it would be considered unclean. You were just this unclean person and you couldn't do much, all right? This happened the same if, if a woman had any flow of blood at any time. After she would be done bleeding, she would then have seven days where she was unclean and she needed to purify herself. Now, it gets really weird uh, and absurd. The next thing that I'm going to tell you, all right? If you had given birth to a little baby girl, all right? Not a little baby boy, a little baby girl, all right? Your time is just automatically doubled, okay? 14 days of uncleanness and 66 days of purification. Now, I can add, and I added that up, and it's 80 days total and you may be thinking, why, why is that? I mean, is it favoritism? Is it, because, is it because little girls are more unclean than little boys right when they're born? I feel like it's kind of the same. No, it was God trying to point everyone to the fact that everything takes longer with girls. <laughs> <sighs> I, heard an, I heard an amen from the student pastor over here. Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna enjoy the couch tonight. I'm gonna really enjoy the couch. There was another uh, law that God had said if if you touched a dead body you would also be unclean for seven days. On the third day, okay, you would have to purify yourself and then on the seventh day you would have to wash and purify yourself again. All right? Anything you touched would be unclean. Anything you sat on, you couldn't go to worship. You couldn't do any of that. And if you didn't do those two, those two, like, what cleansings, on the third and the seventh day, you were considered unclean until you did. And if you went into the tabernacle of the Lord, the place of worship in that day, you would defile the tabernacle and you would be cut off from your people. God would cut you off from his people because you didn't obey His law. It seems like an absurd law. And when Jesus gets on the scene, he takes this absurdity and he just runs with it. All right. Jesus said things uh, like this. He said uh, several different times, several different things uh, that were just, they just sound absurd. He told Peter, you're going to be a fisher Of men, Peter was a fisher of fish. Nobody had ever said fisher of men before. It sounded absurd. Obviously, you know, Jesus uh, Jesus had a plan. Jesus also said this, my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. I mean, if you were there, humanly speaking, and you're not exactly sure what all that is, you're like, "Uh, that sounds a little absurd to me. God also had a point there. We're not gonna go into all of it. He also said this, if your your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. I mean, those are absurd things. In the first week of this sermon series, I talked about God calling a tax collector. Jesus calls a tax collector to follow him. That's absolutely absurd that anyone would ask a tax collector to be their disciple, but that's exactly what Jesus did. And I I showed you that it's really absurd that Jesus would call you and me to follow him as well. Last week, we looked at the absurd call not to follow Jesus. Jesus teaching that it's going to cost a lot if you want to follow me. So if if you're unwilling to pay that, what it costs, then don't follow me. And we saw that it really does cost to follow Jesus. And that brings us right to today's absurd message, the absurd timing of Jesus. And we're gonna see over and over in this story, and you're going to be reminded of your own lives that, that Jesus and his timing isn't exactly the same as your timing. And God's timing might not always be in sync with your timing. He's above time. It doesn't limit him like it limits us. What I really hope that you see in today's message is that following Jesus is hard and that it takes real faith to follow him. You've gone through life. You know that life is hard. Well, life following Jesus, because life is hard, it's hard to follow Jesus sometimes. Really, the thing that gets us through is this faith that we're going to talk about and we're going to see in the passage today. Jesus, in this passage, is kind of in the middle of his ministry. He's very popular at this time. A lot of people are following him. And all of his miracles of, of healing and different things, they're, they're, they're casting, they're casting a, a point of view that he's trying to help everyone see that he is God. He wants everyone to know that by what he's doing and healing people. And so when he heals a physically blind person and helps them see again, they are made well, but it's supposed to point to the fact that he can also heal us spiritually. He can heal the spiritually blind. If he heals a deaf person, he can heal a spiritually deaf person that can't hear God. If he heals a lame person, it's supposed to point to the fact if he can do that, he can also do it spiritually. And help a lame person spiritually walk with the Lord for the very first time. If he takes an unclean person and he physically heals that person, what he's trying to show everyone is, if I can do this, I can also heal that person spiritually. They're no longer spiritually unclean. As we get into... This passage. Well, we're, we're going to be in Luke 8. If you want to turn there, you're more than welcome. We'll be uh, pulling the verses up in a second. We'll be in verses 40 through 56. But you see all of that going on in this story and all the stories before that. Jesus pointing to the fact that he's God and he's God alone and he can do things physically and spiritually. But really at the root of this story, at the heart of this story, there's two people who are at the end of their rope, but they place their faith in Jesus. This passage can be broken down into three scenes, and that's what I've done for you today. We're going to go through each scene, and we're going to see the faith of these people. We're going to see that life was hard, and we're going to see Jesus do some amazing things. Scene one is Jesus and Jairus. Let's go to verse 40. Now, when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him. He had gone across the Sea of Galilee. And now he has returned. A whole crowd is waiting for him. Remember last week, I talked a lot about a crowd, okay? Crowds following Jesus were not in the hundreds. They were in the thousands. Picture thousands of people waiting for Jesus to see the absurd things that he was going to say and the absurd things that he would do. So they're waiting for him at the shore. And there came a man named Jairus. He was the ruler of the synagogue. Now, the synagogue was kind of the hub for Jewish activity in a Roman world. They would have uh, had law courts there at the synagogue, a school, they would have had archives there. They would have had a whole bunch of activities, but the greatest thing about the synagogue was that it was a place of worship that wasn't far away in Jerusalem. So the people could go to the synagogue and they could hear the word of God being read and they could pray and it was a time of worship for them. It was a great, great thing. And Jairus is the ruler of that synagogue. He would have overseen every single little thing that happened at that synagogue. Now, usually those religious leaders didn't like Jesus, but Jairus is in a different position. We're gonna see why. Came, his name is Jairus, ruler of a synagogue, and falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house. That word falling at Jesus' feet means that Jairus threw himself to the ground. At Jesus' feet, it's the picture of a man who is desperate, desperately in need of something. Come to my house, Jesus, for he had an only daughter. Now that means he only had one child, one child. He didn't have other sons or anything like that. He had one child, an only daughter. She was about 12 years of age, a little 12-year-old, and she's dying. This is a true emergency in Jairus' life. This is something that Jairus needs to be dealt with very quickly because in the moment that he comes to Jesus, his daughter is dying and Jesus is one of compassion. And so Jesus just starts the journey with Jairus. Let's go to your house. Now there's only two things that could get in the way of Jairus's plan to have Jesus heal his daughter all the way at his house. One is the huge crowd. If that crowd is so big and things move too slow, it might be too late. And the other thing that can get in the way of Jairus's plan is if Jesus decides to have compassion on someone else that would delay Jesus from getting to his house on time. And he didn't want either of those things to happen. And both of those things are about to happen in scene two, where we see Jesus and an unclean woman. Let's go to the scripture. As Jesus went the people pressed around him. That word is really the word choke out, okay? It's not, I'm not trying to say that the entire crowd was choking Jesus. That would, that's weird. Uh, but what it is saying is that this crowd is so dense that it was hard to move. You've probably been in a, actually this morning when you guys were trying to fit in these doors, there was people all around you, pressing in on you, you're touching everybody, and you're just like, okay, there's a lot of people here, and that's, just picture thousands and thousands of people pressing in on Jesus. And in that crowd, there's a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. That's a long time to be bleeding. When you heard about the little girl who was only 12, you thought, well, that's just such a short time for someone to live. But when you hear about a woman that's been bleeding, you think it's such a long time that she had to suffer before she met Jesus. She had a discharge of blood for 12 years. I told you what that meant. It means for 12 years, she's unclean. Everywhere she went, people would say, unclean, move away, move away. Get out, you're not welcome at worship. You can't come into the synagogue. It's possible that Jairus had not let her come into the synagogue as being the ruler of the synagogue. It's possible, probably likely. She shouldn't be in a crowd because she's going to be touching people, which means she's going to be getting people, making them unclean. She had spent her living on physicians. She probably had a lot of money and she just spent it all so she could figure out during these 12 years what was wrong and she couldn't be healed by anybody. That word healed in Greek is like a word for word translation. I bring that out because in just a minute, it's not gonna be because there's gonna be several words that are used for heal in this passage. That one just means heal as you know it. Let's go to the next verse. She came up behind Jesus and she touched the fringe of his garment. Now remember, if she did this, it would in theory make Jesus unclean she knew that in her mind everyone else knew it she comes up she touches the tassel of his garment the very edge and immediately her discharge of blood ceased it was gone it's like Jesus' cleanness rubbed off on her and Jesus said who was it that touched me when all had denied it Peter said Jesus that's an absurd question You know the kind of crowd we're in right now. Everybody is surrounding you. Everybody is pressing in on you. Everybody's touching you. I'm smashed against you. That person and this person, everybody is surrounded by people. What do you mean? Who touched you? Everybody is touching you. But Jesus said, someone touched me because I perceive that power has gone out from me. Now that's not like your cell phone your cell phone is like mine, you take it off, it says 100%. You look at it, and it drains instantly to like 20%. You're like, I only looked at my phone. They're like, for looking at what is going on? This is not what happened with Jesus. He didn't lose power because his healing went out and healed someone. His power was innate. His power was always the same, and it went through him to heal her. And she's healed. Let's go to verse 47. And when the woman saw that she wasn't hidden anymore in this huge crowd, now people know that she's, or they're about to know that she's unclean. She came trembling. She falls down before him. Same words. She throws herself down on the ground at Jesus's feet. Right before him, and she declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him. She says, here's why I touched him because I've been unclean for 12 years. I've been bleeding. And then everybody would have just taken a step back. All right, whoa, whoa. We have somebody unclean here. But she says, no, I'm not unclean anymore. I touched the edge of his hem. And instantly, she had been immediately Healed. Now, that word for healed is a little bit different than the last one. This means that you were in a normal state, but since you have become in a not normal state, you have a disease, you have this problem. That word healed means that you're set back to the normal state. You don't have this thing anymore. You're back to what is appropriate, your appropriate state. And he said to her, daughter, how many times do you think she heard that in 12 years? Never. Probably people just called her unclean. That's it. But he says daughter because he has compassion on her. Your faith has made you well. Now, it wasn't her faith in her faith that made her well. It wasn't like her faith had to get up to a certain point, and once she was there, then she could be healed. No, her faith was in Jesus Christ, not in her faith. And there is trash preachers, and there are trash churches that teach you that that is not the case, and that your faith can be exercised to make God do something in your life, but that's not what faith is at all. Her faith was saying, Jesus, I'm placing my faith in you. In your timing, I want you to heal me, and your will be done in my life. That's what true faith is. And he says, your faith has made you well. Now that word is the Greek word for save. It's also used for, to heal. It also means you've been healed, but it also has an extra meaning. And way more times this word is used for saving. So what Jesus is saying, you've been healed physically and you have been saved spiritually. Why? Your faith in me. Not your faith in your faith, your faith in me. Now go in peace. That brings us to scene three. Scene three is Jesus, Gyrus, and a corpse. All right, this is where all the pedal hits the metal. This is where everything gets really interesting. Let's go to verse forty-nine. While Jesus was still speaking, someone from the rulers of the house came and said, "It's a real, real subtle guy." He says, "Your daughter is dead." So while Jesus is still speaking, somebody comes and interrupts and isn't like like zero bedside manner at all. Jairus, your daughter's dead. Like, have some compassion on the situation here. He says, don't trouble the teacher anymore. Listen, we're trying to get him there in time so that He could heal your sick daughter. Now she's dead. It's okay. He can't. Our plan isn't going to work anymore, Jairus. You, You just come home. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, do not fear. Don't be afraid, Jairus. Only believe. Only have faith. Trust in me. And look, and she will be well. That word well for healed. She'll be healed. She'll be well. Again, it's the word sozo. It's the word, she will be physically healed and she will be spiritually saved. It's beautiful that he says that. Now, right here, you have to know what Jairus' name means. Jairus' name means, listen to this, God will awaken. I can just see Jesus. Now, we don't, this is just my imagination. I can just see Jesus saying, Jairus. Jairus. Jairus, God awakens. Your name has been pointing to this event since the day you were born. God will awaken, Jairus. God will awaken. When Jesus came to the house, he allowed nobody to go in with him except Peter, James, and John, the inner circle of the disciples, and the father and the mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her, but he said... Do not weep, for she is not dead, but she's sleeping. Doesn't that sound absolutely absurd? You know when you've seen a dead body. At him Because they knew it was absurd, except for the fact that they weren't taking into account that he was God in the flesh. They knew she was dead. Let's go to verse 54. But taking her by the hand, did you, get, did you catch that? Remember that law from earlier? You can't touch a dead person. You know what happens if you touch a dead person? Their uncleanness of that dead person rubs off on you. And for seven days, you're unclean. Jesus didn't seem to mind about being unclean or what anybody else thought. He takes her by the hand and he says, child, arise. Verse 55. And her spirit returned and she got up at once and he directed that something should be given to her to eat. I don't know if like dying just really takes it out of you. And you're like, <laughs> he's like, he raises you from the dead and you're like, man, I'm hungry. I could really use some food. Jesus already knows. He's like, get her some food. This, this comes with hunger. All right. He gives something to eat. And her parents were amazed, but he charges them to tell no one what had happened. Cause those crowds were getting so big. It was hard for him to go anywhere. And he didn't want more of a scene. There's a time in Jesus' ministry where he'll stop saying that. But for this time, he said, just everybody, for everybody's sake, I just said I woke her up. So she woke up. So what does all this have to do with you and me? How does all of this relate back to us? Why are we talking about this, these stories? Well, the first thing that I want you to see is that it's, it's hard to follow Jesus. You don't think it was hard for Jairus to follow Jesus, to break with the other religious leaders, to place his faith in Jesus because of his circumstance? He does it anyway, even though it was hard. And then he goes and he finds Jesus and he talks to him. And even though it's hard, he says, come to my house. My daughter is dying. And then he's on the way there and that that whole thing gets interrupted. Jesus gets interrupted. There's a whole other person that needs Jesus. You don't think that was hard for Jairus? I I would have been pacing back and forth. I'm trying trying to get Jesus to the house, and this is happening now. What is going on? He can't have compassion on everybody because then my daughter is going to die. You don't think it was hard when that man from his house came and said, your daughter is dead? Or was it hard for the woman who was bleeding for 12 long days? years. You think Jesus answered her prayers in her time? Not on her timing. The second that she knew that something was wrong, she would have wanted to be healed of it. Maybe it was a week in. Maybe it was two weeks in. She says something's not right here. I need to be healed. I need to go to a doctor. I need to put my faith in God. I need to do something. And it's 12 years later. That Jesus heals her that was hard for her to go through I know you are going through hard things some of you right now some of you have been praying for so long for God to do something and you wanted it on your timing but you're starting to realize it's not in your timing some of you have prayed for your will in your life and you might be seeing that that might not have been God's will in your life, But you've also seen God work in amazing ways in your life. You've seen him answer prayers in your life. You've seen him work in your life. But this not knowing, this not having any idea of what God wants to do or will do in the future, it makes following him really hard. And it takes real faith to follow Jesus, which is the next thing that I want you to take away today. It takes real faith to follow him. took real faith for Jairus every step along the way. It took real faith for the unclean woman to even enter a crowd where she could be ridiculed and mocked because she was unclean and she still had faith. She had so much faith. Last question that I have for you today is this. Can you keep your faith When following Jesus is hard, Jairus did. The bleeding woman did. But when your life gets hard and it's hard to follow Jesus, can you maintain? your faith in him. Can you say not on my timing because you're praying for you to be healed or for someone else to be healed or you're praying for your lost friend that they would come to know Jesus and if it was all on your time, everything would have been handled already. But you're in this kind of caught in between where I have faith in God and that faith means that I will trust him, his timing and his will instead of my timing and what I want right when I want it. Some of you are praying for other situations that you're going through. You might have sickness, you might have disease, you might be living in pain. Your marriage might be falling apart and you're just praying that God would hold it all together and if it was on your timing, it would have already happened but it seems like it hasn't happened yet. Can you keep your faith during that? Or what about your money problems? Are you willing to say, I'm, I'm having money problems, God? I mean, your timing is right now. I need money right now for what I need to do. Maybe God isn't exactly on your time schedule. Maybe it's any other number of things that you're going through in your life. Maybe you lost a job and that wasn't your timing. That might've been God's timing. Maybe you're looking for another one and you want it right now. Maybe it comes in God's timing whenever that is. Are you gonna be able to maintain your faith through all Of that, When you pray for your kids, you want them to be healthy. You want them to be happy. You want them to know the Lord. All of that may or may not happen on your time schedule. May happen on God's time schedule. I don't know where your faith is right now. I know where it needs to be though. It needs to be in Jesus. Because if you haven't hit the hard times yet, you're going to and you're gonna need him and you're gonna need that faith to get you through. Not faith in your faith, but faith in him, faith that says your will and your timing in my life. That is true faith. In a moment, the pastors are gonna be up here. If you wanna pray with them about your faith or something that you're going through, I, I wish I could promise you that God is gonna do every single thing that every one of you wants him to do. There are trash churches that do that. There are. You give us this much money, we promise you God is gonna do this X in your life. We don't do that. We know that it'll be in his timing. It will be in his will. If you want to pray about sickness or something else, you can do that. Keep praying and keep having faith that it will happen in God's timing. And if his will is different than yours, be willing to accept that. If you need to pray for anything else, if you want to join the church, you can come talk with one of the pastors. There's going to be a lady up here as well. If you want to pray, because you'd rather pray with a woman, if you're a woman, you can can do that. But whatever you do today, know that it's always worth following Jesus and it's never absurd. Let's pray. Dear God, we love you so very much. We thank you for your son. We thank you for what he did for us. We thank you for the ways that he can heal us spiritually and the ways that he can heal us physically. We always want our answers right when we want them. But we can have faith that you know what you're doing because you're our God. You created us and you love us. You have compassion on us like you had compassion on the bleeding woman, like you had compassion on Jairus and his daughter. God, help us. Have faith even in the hard times. In Jesus' name, amen.